How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Wonderful. What an awesome uh, couple of songs there to sing together, right? In many ways you feel like, and I think this is good, uh, we're singing sermons. Such rich truth uh, that we confess and hold dear together, especially during this season. So thank you uh, for singing to me, singing with me, and uh, celebrating Christ and who he is and all that he has done. We continue our series in the book of Matthew. Just open up to Matthew 5. Uh, We're going to be focusing in on verse 9. But uh, yeah, just get yourself there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 will be our passage this morning. He did it again. He said he wouldn't do it, but he did. That's what Jennifer thought as uh, she drove away with her husband from her mom's house after a nice Sunday dinner that turned sour. Her husband, Rick, had promised that he would never again get into the political squabbles at the dinner table. But sure enough, uh, someone had said something that he didn't agree agree with, and so he decided to take the bait— And once again, uh, entered into quite an argument with Jennifer's mom. And once again, they drove away with a sense of division and discord and tension in the context of their family. And the hardest part about it was, is that her husband had promised that uh, he would never do that again. And so what we see is the tension that they had at the dinner table began to be a tension that was growing in their marriage. As many of us know, uh, that that in-laws can be a source of much marital conflict. And so this couple lives without a sense of peace. They crave it, but they do not have it in their marriage. You gossiped about me behind my back. I'll never trust you again. That's what Jeff said when he heard uh, through the grapevine that the men's ministry uh, leader at church was sharing uh, what was going on in his life as prayer requests uh, behind the scene. It was clear that gossip was taking place in the church. And uh, here he is in the midst of all these uh, uh, difficulties in his life with managing a job that he's having a hard time performing at. He has a, a wife that's dealing with depression, and all the while managing his three kids. And now he thought he could go to the men's ministry leader and get support, something, sharing something in confidentiality. And now it seems that all the guys are talking about his inadequacies and his failures, uh, their interpretation of it, over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And so at one moment they had what seemed to be healthy relationships, being able to share, keep each other accountable. And now it seems as if division and discord has been sown through the the gossip of others. Where is peace in this church, in these relationships? These are just two simple examples that in many ways can be somewhat similar to some of the things that we struggle with in our lives. Right, the, the tension and the division and the discord that we can experience in our relationships. 
And so we see these uh, people here struggling and wrestling to find peace. But really they have tension and turmoil and division in some of the relationships that really matter uh, and are meaningful in their lives. And so the question becomes, where do they find hope in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of sin, in the midst of pain? Where do they find hope? Where do we find hope? Because I would imagine that many of us have faced similar kinds of situations in our lives, right? Where there's been pain and sin and hurt and, and um, division in the context of marriages, in the context of families, maybe even in the context of workplaces. Where is there hope for us in the midst of this tension and conflict? We think of these things... And we come to this section of scripture, the Beatitudes, and we see that Jesus is pronouncing blessings upon certain types of people. And in verse 9, he says this, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade and the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said... Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Another word that I heard often from someone that was very influential in my life, especially as I prepared to go to seminary and sense to call the ministry, uh, this person being Bill Anthes. He was the pastor and planter of Grace Covenant Church in Clay. He's since, since retired. But one word that he said often... Uh, at church, uh, at meetings, wherever you uh, ran into him, was the, the word shalom. In some ways, it was like, what is he talking about at times? You know, he'd smile and look at you, and he would just say, shalom. It was kind of the end of the meeting, the end of the conversation. What is he talking about? Does anybody know what shalom means? Right. It's translated peace. Right? It was a very meaningful word for him. It was a, an intentional word that in the midst of this scenario, situation, in the midst of this worship service, in the midst of this conversation, here's what I'm blessing you with. This word, shalom, was peace. Peace. What is shalom more broadly? Well, Cornelius Plantica talks about shalom being this. He's painting a picture of, a, of an existence where everything uh, uh, is just wonderful. Relationship between God and man, relationship between humans. Right? He's painting this picture, but then he boils it down and he says this, that shalom is when things are the way that they ought to be. At the end of the day, that's simply what shalom is, what peace is. Things, everything is the way that they ought to be. And so, really, to crave peace uh, is, and really is a reaction to the fact that, that things are not the way they ought to be in our world. Things are not the way they ought to be in our relationships. Things are not the way they ought to be even in our own hearts. And so when we look for peace, we're craving for God's peace, things to be the way that they ought to be. 
Maybe I'm uh, uh, overstating it. Maybe you think, well, uh, you know, that, that we're not uh, at peace uh, in our world. We're not at peace in our relationships. We're not at peace in our hearts. But let me just press into that a little bit, that things are not the way they should be in our world, I think, is clear, right? We look at just the last 20 years post 9-11, that terrorism became a very real term in our world, that we've been fighting terror, fear, uh, and this, uh, this evil that we speak of post 9-11. We live in a hostile world. Right? Even just fast-forwarding to uh, the 2020 election, that, man, it is a world just laced in controversy, in conflict, in fighting. Like the political environment that we're in, I think it's clear to say that it lacks peace. It lacks harmony. There's much division and discord in the midst of our world. Just thinking about the whole political environment. It is tense right now, is it not? Tense. I think about social media, and like, you know, it's basically a context right now for just throwing haymakers at each other, and very impersonal, uh, it seems impersonal, debates that just go crazy, and people are absolutely insane on social media, thinking that they're bringing about change in the world by some silly little post, Right? It is hot, it is tense, it is conflicted, it is divided. I just think about the last week or two about that Peloton ad. Again, I ain't saying nothing about no ad, okay? I ain't got no opinion. But what I do have an opinion about is that seems like an overreaction to some level, right? Like people are just looking for any possible way to just be offended and hurt and frustrated and just all of a sudden tension goes viral. It's just very sensitive time in which we live because we are not at peace, right? Things are not the way that they ought to be. How about our relationships? I mean, we're entering into the holidays right now. We celebrate the holidays, but yet... When you talk to many people, the holidays become reminders of some brokenness, right? Like the holidays aren't great for many, Uh, whether it's a family member or a memory or something. There is some level of hurt and pain and division that people have to face during the holiday season, right? Uh, Someone recently said that to me, that even as we celebrate the holidays, many people don't celebrate them. There's actually a lot of pain and trauma that comes from them. You look at marriages, and we see the tension and divorce rates. We're not at peace in our homes. I mean, you talk about conflict between parent and children, you know, uh, and siblings. The families can be really havens for hurt. And while you may want your family to be a place where there is such grace, you may often sit on your couch at night scratching your head wondering how in the world we got so angry at each other. When did this happen? Why are the people that I love the most, the people that I'm so 
frustrated with the most? Why is there so much hostility in our homes? It's because they lack peace. But even thinking a little bit deeper, there's really hostility in our hearts. Our hearts aren't the way they should be. This lack of peace is not just out there. right? There's, there's a lack of peace inside. Do you ever just feel turmoil in your heart? Like something's wrong. Something's not right. And you're just wrestling? Raise your hand if you can track with that. I want to see, like, yeah, okay, yes. There's, there's something going on that's wrong. I can't put a finger on it. I don't know what it is, but something's not right. There's turmoil. There's tension inside of us. We always joke in some ways in our house that, um, that, uh, that I've struggled with what we call a hostile gene. Like, it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean hostile gene? Well, if, if like, there's a way to just, like, get going with somebody or something, like, I'm ready. Like, something happened, it's like, pow! Like, just ready to go. Like, like it's just my pr- propensity. Like, let's do this. Let's fight. You know, like, right away, no matter what we're talking about, no matter what we're doing. I wonder if that's... Uh, a desire, like I was reflecting on that, like I wonder if the reason uh, at times I want to engage in conflict outside is because there might be conflict on the inside, right? If you gain control over something on the outside, maybe there's something deeper going on on the inside, right? And I, that I can't control, that I can't figure out. Maybe just sharing my soul a little bit with you guys. But I wonder if some of you struggle with a similar kind of thing. Why am I always wrestling? Why am I always conflicted? Well, maybe there's something out here because something's going on inside of us. We're a peace-craving people. We talk about peace all the time. and We're going to bring about peace, right? The peace symbol of the 60s and 70s. Like, and we still see them on clothes, specifically children's clothes mostly. Right? What, what is that all about? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a craving. It's a longing. It's a symbol that points to reality that we really want. And yet, while we crave it, we lack it. So what's the problem really? What's going on? We're trying so hard in our world to establish unity and harmony and peace. But we more and more do not have it. What's the problem? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he said, Why are there wars in the world? Why is there this constant international tension? By the way, this was in the middle part of the 20th century, just for historical significance. What is the matter with the world? Why have we had these world wars in this century? Why is there a threat of further war and all this unhappiness and turmoil and discord amongst men? He goes, According to this beatitude, he's talking about verse 9. He says, there is only one answer to these questions. Sin. Nothing else. It is just sin. See, again, the problem is easy to say it's out there. But really, the problem is in here. The problem is in here. 
Sin is the main source of all this hostility in the world. Our relationships, in our hearts, it's, it's the brokenness of our sin. It's sin that has, from the beginning, created, from the fall anyway, created an enmity, a hostility between his, the creator and his creation. And it's that root cause that now has spread. We were called to spread his glory, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. But now we're spreading this lack of peace, this lack of shalom, this hostility in the world. Sin is the culprit. Sin in us. It's what causes enmity with God. It's what causes alienation from God. It causes this hostility in the world to grow. And it is the, it is the culprit that, is, uh, uh, that it causes such division and discord in our relationships. It is our sin. But here's the wonderful news of creating such a need here. Please understand that there is great provision in the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we are a sin-craving people, I'm sorry, a peace-craving people and a peace-lacking people, there is wonderful news in the gospel because Jesus Christ is a peace-giving Savior. And that's really what we celebrate here, even during this Advent season, that when, when Jesus comes into the world, he brings a very real peace to the world in which he created, the world that longs for it. In Christ, God is providing a glorious solution and provision to our craving and our need. As we said in the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon, right? Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by seeing Jesus for all that he is, and understanding the, the perfect action that he has completed for us by trusting in him by faith, right? We have been justified by faith. It says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, there is peace with God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. If you trust in him and his finished work, you have peace with God. Nobody's going to argue that here, at least those that know him. But often uh, we miss out on a very important part of the gospel, if that's even a way to say it. It's, it's just the gospel. <laughs> but it's an, uh, an often ignored facet of it, uh, uh, truth within it. That it's not just peace with God that he has secured, but Jesus has secured for us peace with one another. The very peace that we crave in our human relationships, he has done what is necessary to provide a basis for us to live and walk peacefully in relationship to one another. Ephesians chapter 2 says, he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What is he talking about here? Jews and Gentiles were, not, uh, were, were at enmity with one another. There was hostility between Jews and Gentiles. 
because of the law, right? And what Jesus did is he removed the hostility by abolishing the the ordinances and the commands. And now he has established in his death, as it says, peace. It says this, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Jew and Gentile divided. Now through the cross, Jesus is making one new man. Those who live in unity and harmony. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is our peace in relationship to one another. This glorious solution that God has provided through Jesus Christ is now the basis for our peace with God and our peace with one another. The very peace that we lack apart from Him, the very peace that we crave because of the emptiness of our soul due to our sin. Jesus is the answer to our crave for peace. So turn to Him. Trust in Him. If you've done so already, rest in Him. Rest in Him. I have so many jokes in my head, I'm just going to leave them there. We had a lot of beans this week from Moe's, you know. Sorry. Covering one for the sound team. Jesus is that peace-giving Savior. And what he does is those who trust in him, he, he, he takes people from peace-lacking to peace-having. Why, why the fuss of all that? Peace lacking to peace having. It's foundational to understanding peacemaking. You can't be, says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, you can't make something you don't have. Very important. You can't make a peace you don't have. So peacemakers are peace havers. That's what Jesus does. By his work on the cross, he, he deals with the source of our hostility, our sin. He goes to the root, and he gives peace. Peace with God, peace with each other. He takes peace lackers and makes them peace havers. So if you're looking for peace, look to him. He is your shalom. He is the one who takes the uh, not the way it ought to be to the way it should be. Peace with God, peace with one another. Jesus is the shalom. Now we understand the proper context for such a blessing from Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are peace havers. If you don't have peace, you can't make peace. But now that they have, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. What is peacemaking? What is peacemaking? Quarles says this in his definition. He says, peacemaking is the work of reconciling two alienated parties. Key word, reconciling. That's peacemaking. 
Peacemaking is the work of reconciling two alienated parties or taking two enemies and bringing them into a relationship of unity and harmony. What is peacemaking? It's reconciling. Peacemaking is a blessed work. It's a blessed task. It is a call on everyone who is peace-having, peacemaking. How do we know this? Well, Romans 12, after again, hearing the gospel, Romans 1 through 11, receiving it, being transformed by it, having peace in God through Christ, what does Paul say? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Very important as followers of Jesus for us to have the priority of peace, having the priority of peacemaking. That in our world that is suffering from such hostility and discord and division, followers of Jesus having peace now are doing all that they can to be making peace in this world, in their homes, in their hearts. In the relationships, at work, we're peacemakers. As far as it depends on us, every ounce of energy we have, empowered by the Spirit, is to be given to the priority of establishing, making, promoting, pursuing peace in all relationships. Embrace that this morning. Just Right there, fundamentally, embrace that. Called to be a peacemaker. As far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. Not just your buddies. Not just those that agree with you. Not just those that look like you. Not just those on your street. Right? Not just your neighbors, including them. He says live peaceably with all. Doesn't mean you always agree with everybody. Doesn't mean... You know, there isn't meaningful things to disagree about, but still pursuing peace, living peaceably with all. I just want to make a few practical comments about what peacemaking is this morning, if if you would just be so kind to listen. First of all, peacemaking means reconciling relationships. I already said that, right? Just when we talk about peacemaking, we're talking about reconciling relationships. Okay? Very important. It's about relationships. Reconciliation in the scriptures is a very relational term. Justification, profoundly legal. Reconciliation is very relational. Relational term. So the context here we're talking about, blessed are the peacemakers, really the emphasis, although foundationally it's peace with God, the emphasis seems here to be on relationship with others. People, other people, because of our peace with God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are pursuing peace in relationship to others. We see this in Matthew, just a few verses into the future here for us. We see that Jesus is teaching that even uh, uh, if somebody has something against you in worship, right? Right? Someone 
comes and uh, you find out that a brother has something against you. Not even just you have something against them, but somebody has something against you. Going to Matthew uh, 5, 21 through 26 here. Uh, he says, leave your gift at the altar. Right? You're in the midst of offering a gift in worship. He says, listen, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So you talk about the priority in the heart of God for peace in our relationships. He's saying, before you make that offering, put the pause button on it. There's such a priority in the heart of God that we live peaceably with one another. That we reconcile when offenses are felt and done in relationships. He's saying, put the pause button on worship. Worship me by going to your brother and being reconciled. Then come back, offer your gift. Such a priority for God. Reconciliation. And so we see that. Reconciliation is important to God. What is that? I think a simple definition, Leon Morris says, it's in affecting a thorough change back. You see, in relationship, sin causes division, disharmony, almost a turning away from one another. Reconciliation, Leon Morris says, is a thorough change back. Not partial, a thorough change back. Restoration. That's what he's saying we're pursuing. Peacemaking means reconciling relationships. Peacemaking also requires both listening and speaking. Going to larger scripture here. Requires listening and speaking. And let's emphasize listening here. Listening. Man, I'm a gabber. You all know that. Talk a lot. My wife calls it verbal vomit. (laughs) Listening first. Where do we get that idea? The book of James. Right? Let everyone know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Peacemakers are listeners. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are listeners. You've heard people say you have two ears and one mouth, right? It's not a bad ratio, right? It's like someone thinking, don't you have any ears, Maisie? You know, you just, just like to talk. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And, of course, speaking is a big part of it, right? Speaking the truth in love. So we're not to be silent. Peacemakers also speak. They take the initiative to pursue peace. That's going to require communication of listening and speaking. You know, sadly enough, we often come harshly with our words. We come sarcastically. Harshness, sarcasm, 
None of that produces peace. The word sarcasm literally means to tear the flesh. Right? I get in trouble with sarcasm a lot. It's not peacemaking. Peacemakers listen and they speak, and they speak in a way that de-escalates conflict. Doesn't avoid conflict with silence. Doesn't avoid conflict by staying away. No, pursuing it. Go and be reconciled. So it listens and it speaks, and it speaks in a way that de-escalates. You know the difference between someone who throws gas on a fire or a blanket, right? Peacemakers put the fire out. They de-escalate. They don't instigate. You heard someone use that phrase, stir the pot. Right? Someone who stirs the pot. Oh boy, this is fun. Right? Let's get something going here. Let's start a fight. Let's start a debate. You know who you are. Right? That stirring the pot. It's not peacemaking. It's not peacemaking. So we de-escalate. It's a term we're trying to use in our home with uh, siblings and parents. Like, you know, uh, you know, what you just did there is you just like threw gas on it. Boom. De-escalate. De-escalate. Give them a minute. (laughs) You know, give them space for just a minute. So it's really important, right? Proverbs 10.12 said, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers up offenses. Hatred stirs. But love covers up offenses. Peacemakers are not pot stirrers. One other thing, I think it's really important because we recognize while we're peacemaking, it's not... We're not the source of it, right? So we still need the work of the Spirit. And so in our speaking, a lot of our speaking in conflict resolution should be speaking to God, praying for those we've offended, praying for those who who feel offended by us. I think our words oftentimes in conflict resolution can go to God, praying for them, praying with them. Because peace, uh, the establishment of peace in relationships is a work of God. So we cry out to Him. We speak to Him. We trust in Him. And we see God move. And many of you have seen that very thing in your families, in your workplace. You've prayed for somebody. You've gone to the, to the great peacemaker. God's done a mighty work in reconciling and restoring. Prayer's a peacemaking thing. And so continue to do that. Next thing I would say is that peacemaking includes confessing and forgiving sin. We see this in Matthew again. Confession. Forgiveness of sin. James says, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness. We did a lot of hard work in our home early on with this annoyingly long process of conflict resolution from like acknowledgement to hugging. 
like in all these processes that or steps in the process, right? That that a part of reconciling is listening and speaking, but it's also seeing and admitting humbly your error, your sin, your wrong, and also being willing to extend forgiveness in the midst of that process, and then that leads to reconciliation. This is a really important part of peacemaking because sin is the root issue, right? And so when we're making peace, we're dealing with sin. We're dealing with sin. That's one of the things that I love about our membership process here at Renovation. We walk people through it. We have this, it actually comes from Peacemaker Ministries, written by Ken Sandy, uh, where there's how do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with sin? In our church. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to ignore it. We're going to deal with it. For the purpose of restoration. For the purpose of maintaining and establishing peace. In our community. Right? We're going to deal with sin. In the hope of establishing peace and reconciliation. Because we understand that when you get people. As redeemed as they are. Doing life together still wrestling with sin, still having that root issue that's still being uprooted over time, that in relationships, it's going to happen. Guys, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. We're going to sin. We're going to let each other down. It's going to happen. We should expect it. But praise be to God that Jesus has done something to bring peace to our relationships. And when we're Living in community with one another, yeah, we're sinning, but guess what? We're confessing it, and we're forgiving it, and we have basis for that. That's a community unlike any other in the world. Confessing sin, forgiving sin, and actually having justice and mercy on display, a very basis for such a community. That's what local church membership fosters and facilitates here. It's such a beautiful, wonderful thing. We're responding to the gospel. We're representing its truth in our relationship. It's defining who we are and how we live. Because James 4 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not a war waging within your members? Is it not in you? Isn't the real issue that's going on outside of you? Isn't the source of it in you? Sin is the issue. And so when we're pursuing reconciliation... Confession and forgiveness is central to the process. Especially if we're going to deal with the root of the issues. Leon Morris says, No true reconciliation can take place unless the cause of estrangement is truly faced and dealt with. Avoidance is not peace. It's not. That's just avoidance. I mean, I think Ken Sandy's right in saying there are certain offenses that you can let go. Jesus is enough. But when you can't let it go, when it keeps eating at you, becomes an issue that estranges you in relationship and alienates you in relationship to other people, you can't avoid it. You've got to deal with it. And so we make peace by confessing and forgiving. He says, if it is ignored or glossed over, then then a species of uneasy truth may result. 
But there can be no real restoration of fellowship, no true reconciliation. Peacemakers confess sin and they forgive sin. They deal with the root issue. And they keep doing that. They keep listening and they keep speaking. They keep confessing and forgiving all the way until the relationship is restored. That's the end game. Restoration of relationship. And that's why in our covenant we talk about that. That, that, that conf- how we deal with sin is for the purpose of maintaining and establishing peace and harmony in our relationship because of what Jesus Christ has done. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that have the priority of reconciliation. Blessed are those who listen and speak. Blessed are those who confess and forgive sin. Blessed are those that keep working at it, uh, no matter what it takes, until reconciliation, a thorough change back has occurred. If that's how you live, Jesus says you're blessed. You live in the blessing. Of the kingdom. As peace havers. That are now peacemakers. And he goes on to say why. He says that they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are blessed. Because they shall be called sons of God. And again we're dealing with a future tense here right. This end time expectation. That when you stand before God on judgment day, God will look at you and say, son. God will look at you and say, mine. It's a separating of the sheep and the goats. Separating of the wheat and the chaff. When God on judgment day makes a decision that separates... He says, blessed are the peacemakers, because on that day, they won't be called enemies. On that day, they will be called sons of God. They will be called mine. What an amazing hope we have as peace havers that become peacemakers that now live in the hope of being confirmed as God's son. God's child in God's kingdom. Very important nuance there. Like we said before about these future expectations, in no way, shape, or form is if you make peace, then God will make you his child someday. No, that is not what it's teaching at all. Not what it's teaching at all. Remember, we know how we become sons of God is through faith in Jesus, by trusting in what he did. By trusting in his peacemaking work. We trust in Jesus. John tells us. Gave those people the right to become children of God. So don't misconstrue this. But those who have peace as the children of God make peace. And those that are making peace. Who are responding to the peace they have. Who have embraced the ministry of reconciliation in the world. Those people live in the hope of God's confirming voice in the kingdom. It's it's an affirming and a confirming word that you will hear someday. What a hope we have. 
of what we will be called on Judgment Day. Those who make peace. Now some of you are saying, why sons of God? Why wouldn't we just do what all the gender-neutral Bibles are doing and just call them children? Right? Why wouldn't we just call them people? They'll be called people of God. Right? Is this another way in which the church is being abusive, patriarchal, marginalizing women? The answer is no. The word is very important. It's not meant to alienate females. So females don't hear that. It's meant actually to include you in a status and designation that was understood in that time. The son of God, the son was, had the status in the family. Also, the son represented the family. That's the importance of that word. So we don't translate it differently. We help you understand the meaning. You too, women, will be called sons of God in status, in place, in position, and in understanding that your life was a representation of the peacemaker. That in your life, you faithfully represented. In some ways, what he's saying is, on Judgment Day, You're mine. You are mine. You belong to me. And you represented me. That's what it means to be a son. That's what it means to be a son. Peacemakers live in God's blessing. As they hope for confirmation in God's kingdom. What an awesome thing. You know, in our day and age, uh, those who are followers of Jesus are called many things, especially the followers of Jesus who look at a world that is craving peace and putting out multiple ways to get there, and they hear about our exclusive message that peace is only found in Jesus, that the crucifixion of Christ is the only way for us to, to, to understand and know peace in our hearts, in our homes, in our relationships, and in our world. It's all found in Jesus. When they hear that, they hear division. They call us controversial. They call us divisive. They call us intolerant. Because we point to the one hope of peace for the world. Because we point to the Prince of Peace. They say, mean, intolerant, unjust. That's what they call us. But understand the hope we have. We may endure, as we're going to talk about persecution next week, we may endure such opposition and persecution and even death in this life because of the peace we have and the peace that we try to make on the basis of which we make it and the message that we preach, the Savior that we preach and proclaim. We may be called so many things But understand that God will make a call on Judgment Day for those who have peace in Christ and those who make peace in Christ. He'll say, mine. He'll say, son of God. You belong to me. You represent me. Now, come live in the new Jerusalem, the city of peace, 
with me. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers live in God's blessing as they hope for confirmation in God's kingdom. And so as we wrap this up, I'm just going to get real straight. Who is it in your life that you need to make peace with? What situation needs peace? With whom do you need to be reconciled? That was really my prayer. Preparing this. Would the Spirit of God do a mighty work in our homes, in our hearts, in our relationships? We may not be able to change the world right now, but we can trust Christ, receive peace, have peace, pursue peace, enjoy peace in, in, the, in the relationships that we have and know. Who is it? I pray the Lord give you the courage to no longer avoid, but to leave your gift at the altar and go first and be reconciled. I pray that the Lord would give you hope, give you peace. The word of Galantes, shalom. Let's pray. Oh, great God in heaven, we praise you. You have given us peace. done so in Christ. You have reconciled us to yourself. You've forgiven us of sin. You've restored us back to you. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are a people that live in this peace together. All hostility has been removed. Because of the blood of the cross. We pray. That this church would be known. As a community. Of peace. A people. Marked by shalom. Bring healing and hope to these hearts today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.